morning. It's so great to be here. And I'm glad you're here, here and there in those little lenses. God bless each and every one of you. New series, like Pastor Jeremy said, new series today called Pivot. If, if you know, well, it's not even pop culture now, it's, it's been so long ago, but there was a t- television series called Friends. And there's a clip on social media, it's everywhere on social media, where, where if you remember the, the story, you know, Ross was wanting to move a couch up steps, and he had this whole big design and plan, and he had um, Chandler and Rachel helping him. So they're moving this thing up the steps, he's at the front of the couch, they're at the back of the couch, and they're up the first flight, but then it requires a landing, and they needed a 90-degree turn. And if you've seen the clip or remember the episode, he begins saying the word pivot. And they're supposed to turn, pivot. And so it's not working well, and he just keeps yelling louder and louder, pivot, pivot. pivot. And, of course, the, the couch ends up firmly wedged right, right where it's at. So we're not talking about moving furniture um, in this series, but we are talking about the reality that sometimes the only way to really go forward requires a pivot, requires some kind of change of direction, requires that we make some adjustment to what we've been doing. Some shift has to take place, maybe in our thinking, our thought patterns, maybe in our behavior, maybe in a relationship, maybe in our conduct, maybe in our, our language and, and, and the verbiage we use, that there's a lot of times in life to get to where we really want to get to it requires that we make some adjustments, that we pivot in some area of life. And oftentimes, success depends upon it. Oftentimes, if, if we don't pivot, we end up stuck on a stairwell. Or, or we end up at a place we didn't want to go. Or we didn't mean to go just because we refused to pivot. And it's true in, in everything in life that it's necessary from time to time to, to be willing and to make an adjustment in order to really move in the direction we ought to. If, if a, a person runs a business, if you're involved in business at all, you start with a business plan, but you've made a lot of pivots along the way if your business is still running, if, if it's still operating. Have you ever done a, a do-it-yourself project at home? You had it all mapped out in your mind. You knew exactly how was it, this step and then this step and then this part and this piece. And halfway through, you realize that's not going to work. And you can either pivot, you can either change direction or change the, the method you were using or doing, or you can just have something that will never be completed. Or if it's completed, it'll never work properly. There's, there's needs to pivot. Take the take that act physically of of the ability to pivot, take it out of sports, and you don't have sports. Take it out of marriage, and you don't have marriage. This ability to pivot, it's, it's vital. There's an account in the Old Testament about the nation of Israel. Before they were a nation, they, they left Egypt miraculously. God sends Moses, sends the plagues, and, and, and delivers them out of generations of slavery. They're being led through the wilderness by, by a visible 
pillar of cloud and fire by night. The very presence of God is leading them. They come to the Red Sea. They see the, the Red Sea part. Pharaoh's barreling down on them. And the Red Sea opens and a dry road appears. They walk through and then that same Red Sea as Pharaoh pursues destroys their enemy and, and delivers them again. They eat daily. Miraculous provision of, of manna and, and of quail. They're drinking water that, that came out of a, a rock. They, they come to Mount Sinai. They hear the very voice of God. They hear the thunder and see the fire and smoke on the mountaintop where God, uh, God's presence is. And they receive from God his instructions on how to live life properly. They're, they're traveling this unbelievable journey and they come to this place called Kadesh Barnea. And at that place, God starts preparing them to pivot. Because they're making this journey not just for the sake of making a journey, but because way back when, God made a promise to a man called Abraham. God made a covenant and said, your people... I, I have this land reserved for them, this promised land, where, where I'll drive out all the enemies before them and they will possess this land. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey and they're on the brink of that reality. They're at the edge of this thing God had promised. It was a place of purpose. But in order, them to, in order for them to claim and accomplish and move into their purpose in life, what? They had to pivot. They had to be willing to make a change. They had to be willing to adjust their whole life in this case. These were slaves, and they're about to become landowners. These were just a mass of people about to become a nation that would have influence and affect the entire world. And then we know the story. They send out the 12 spies. They go out. They come back. They report that, yeah, it's a great place. There's no place like this place flowing with milk and honey. And they have evidence of that with them. But 10 of the spies say, but, but the people in the land are too strong for us. We can't do it. We ought to just forget it. Two, of course, Joshua and Caleb beg the people. God has said that we can possess this place. God has said, and we're able to, but they wouldn't listen. They refused to pivot. They refused to make the adjustment necessary to get to the point or the place that God had purposed for them. And as a result, if you remember your, your Bible account, for 40 years, until that entire generation died, never fulfilling their purpose in life, never taking possession or touching and tasting the joy and delight of that which God had promised to them just because they refused to pivot. Listen, if you're walking through your life and you look out the window of your life and you keep seeing the same trees and rocks go by, you might have missed a pivot point. You might have missed a moment somewhere along the line where there was a, a, an adjustment needed to keep moving forward, to keep growing, to keep progressing but you didn't do it. You know, the Israel, Israelites wandered the, through the wilderness like, like, remember the movie Groundhog Day? It was like that, only it's like taking on, being on a tour bus that never ends. You just keep going past the same scenery. 
You just keep repeating the same things over. And sometimes our lives can be like that. We look out the window and, and the th- same things just keep going by. And, and you know, when, when you, you journey around and, and you start naming rocks and trees because they're so familiar to you, it's not a good thing. So the message today, quite simply, is the path to purpose. The path to purpose is a, is a foundational introduction to our, our series. Um, go to Matthew 16. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 16. I smiled last week because Pastor Jeremy used this exact text. And I love when the Lord does that because it, I, I, I love when God layers because it's a way of just affirming and confirming and blending and, and merging what he's saying and telling us um, at certain times. So verse 24 to 26 is all we're going to read for today. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world, forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Father, bless the reading of your word, bless the preaching of your word, and bless the hearing and receiving of your word. And let your word return to you with the accomplished purpose for which you've sent it. We open our hearts to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Path to purpose. When we talk about purpose, I'm talking about living by God's design. That's your purpose. Your, your purpose is not just be a business person or a mom or a dad or a friend or, you know, however you des- define yourself. Your purpose at the end of the day is, is to walk out God's design for your life. To move into God's design for your life, to be like him, to live for him, to live with him. The, the Westminster Catechism has a, has a statement that says, what, what's the purpose of mankind? The, the end purpose of man is to love God and to enjoy him forever. That's a pretty good purpose. Love God and enjoy him forever. And in the text, I, I'm going to go through them just verse by verse. There's three points that I have um, about this path towards purpose. There's, there's three pivot points, if you would, that I think we can pull out of the text that hopefully will help us as we think about our lives and our journey with the Lord. And how can we be sure that we pivot at the right time and in the right direction? Is there anything in scripture that we can pull out? And I think this is a passage that can be helpful to us, okay? So let's just start with my, my first point. Path to purpose is a pivot towards becoming like him. It's a pivot. It'll always be a pivot towards becoming more like him. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, it's an important phrase. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's a well-known verse. It's, it's actually the clearest definition of discipleship that I think I can find in Scripture. It, it, it's so succinct, but yet there's such, there's such breath, to, breath to it as well. But Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, Opiso is the word that's used there. And when we hear, when we read this, this statement from Jesus, normally in our thinking, we think direction. If anyone will come after me, we think of movement. We think of direction. We think of, of, of following physically something. But if, when Jesus made this statement, remember, he wasn't talking to us. He was talking to Jewish listeners. And they heard something different because he was speaking as one who they considered a rabbi. And when a rabbi said, if you come after me, he's talking very specifically. 
He's talking about a disciple. And come after doesn't mean to, to physically, it's not about direction, it's about replication. See, a disciple who followed a rabbi, his goal and purpose in life was to come after that rabbi, meaning once the rabbi was gone, that, that disciple was in place to do the rabbi's job, to be the rabbi, if you would, to carry on his teaching, to carry on his legacy, to carry on his reputation, carry out his work in the earth, to take and assume his ministry, to become him. You are to come after me. And the rabbi poured his life into those disciples, and those disciples gave their life in order to follow after the rabbi. Can I tell you something? As Christians, following Jesus isn't about our best impersonation of him. It's emptying ourselves, one word, ourselves, of ourself, two words. It's emptying ourselves of ourself. Why? So that we can become like him, so that we can come after him, so that we can be in the earth who he was. Because that's our purpose. That's what we're called to be. And Jesus tells us what that pivot looks like. If you're going to be my disciple... You're going to be one who comes after me, whose purpose in life is to come after me. And here's what it's going to look like. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross. You're going to follow me. This is nobody's favorite verse. I've never heard anyone stand up and say, oh, my, my favorite verse of Scripture. We, we don't even really like it as we, as we hear it. But you know what? As you, if you understand it in the right context and, and what Jesus is saying, it should be our, one of our favorite verses. Because this verse is the path to purpose. It's the, it's the way Jesus is saying, here's how you become what I designed you to be. Here's how you can complete and fulfill your highest call in life. If you want to follow Jesus. But see, we, we read this verse with, with our ears. And we read it as a bunch of requirements that just, they sound harsh. Deny yourself. Wait, wait, that means I won't get my own way. Well, that's not a good deal. Take up your cross. You mean it's going to be difficult? You mean it's going to be hard? You mean I got to expend energy and thought and time on this thing? Follow me. You mean I'm not in charge? See, we don't like those three things. We, we, we want our own way. We, we want life easy and soft. We, and we want to be in control of, of our own destiny and the steps that we take. And it's interesting that we react this way to this statement that Jesus makes, these requirements that he gives to his disciples, those who are going to come after him, that, that we deny ourselves, take up a cross and follow, that we live this, a certain quality of lifestyle. And it's interesting because we don't debate that same philosophy in other areas of life. We, in fact, we agree with it and sometimes even applaud and celebrate it. Because we happen to know if for any other purpose we go after, for any other goal that we go after, we understand innately that that's part of the gig. That's part of the deal. If, if, you, if you want to be an elite athlete in this world, you want to be the, the best of the best, you understand this and you don't argue it. Well, I, don't, I won't give my own way. No, you're not because you want to be this, you have this goal in mind. You have this purpose in mind. So you're not going to get your own way. You're going to have to do things the right way. You're going to have to listen to a coach. 
You're going to have to follow the rules. You're going to have to change your lifestyle. You're going to have to adjust your diet. You're going to have to work out and condition. And you can't just be like everyone else. You, you can't get your own way. Well, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be strenuous. It's going to stretch you to your limit so that you can attain your purpose. I mean, I'm not in charge. No, there's rules that you've got to stay within. There's, and we understand that in sports, in, in business, in relationships. If you want to be a good husband, a good wife, a good parent, a, a good son or daughter, if you want to be a good friend, if you want to be successful in your career, we understand that these disciplines are necessary in order to reach the purpose that we want to reach in those areas of our life. But yet we're slow to embrace that as it comes to our spiritual journey. We're slow to see it and accept it as something good and right and positive and healthy for us to get us to our goal. There's a British evangelist. His, his name's T. Austin Sparks. He makes a great statement. We have not to die. We are dead. What we have to do is accept our death. I love that statement. We're talking about our spiritual life. And at salvation, the Bible teaches that something happens. Our old self, our fleshly nature, the self that wants to rebel against those three things, the self that doesn't like the way they sound, that self died. Romans 6 says, so you have to consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you're spiritually alive today, but your old man is dead. And you now have a new life. What's water baptism about? Water baptism is an is a external expression of something that's taking place inwardly. It's a sacrament of the church. Water, water baptism makes a public testimony um, symbolizing what happened to us at salvation. Of the decision we've made to come after Jesus. Water baptism says that my old life of sin and selfishness is dead. Buried. I share in Christ's crucifixion, but I also share in his resurrection. I rise to newness of life. I'm alive. The Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Christ, but yet I live. How does that happen? I'm dead, but yet I'm alive. But the life I live now, it's not that old life. It's the new life I have in Christ. I live for Christ who lives in me. We're alive in Christ and listen, you can't live this new life with your old self. You won't get your own way. And that's a good thing because his way is always better than yours. If you'll believe him, if you'll trust him, there's going to be difficulties. But he's promised your presence. Plus, so what? There's going to be difficulties. Do you know that people who don't know the Lord, there's going to be difficulties? Not following Jesus doesn't mean your life isn't going to have problems. There'll be different kinds of problems. And they won't have a better end. I'm not in charge. Well, can I tell you something? I don't want to burst your bubble. You never were. And you never will be. The Bible says we are, we are servants of either sin or righteousness. We're never in charge. And the sooner we accept and understand that and choose the right master, the better off we'd be. I agree with Brother Sparks. We have to accept our death. See, a, a disciple in, in Jesus' day, disciples 
didn't fit the rabbi's life into theirs. They devoted and surrendered their life to come after the one they were following. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's all he's saying here. He's given a great, and forget about it as instruction. Don't even read that verse as instruction anymore. It's an invitation. It's a great invitation to follow after the creator of the universe. You won't get a better offer. You just won't. Point number two, the path to purpose is a pivot toward living for him. All right, now this is a continuing thought. All right, I, I wish that word, that the first word of the next, of that 25th verse was, was not for. I wish it was because. This is a continuing thought. Jesus is building on, on what he's already said. He said you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and fall. And now he's giving the why. So I wish it was because. Whoever would save his life would lose it, and whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. Now, now, in all honesty, that verse, if you let an unbeliever read that verse, they're going to scratch their head. And they're going to say, what, what, what is Christianity all about? And young believers even perhaps will get confused on this. Whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my... It, it almost sounds like a play on words. Or it sounds like it's, it's contradicting itself. Um, it, it just sounds, it sounds philosophical. If you take it too literal, it even sounds fatalistic. You know, and, and it, at best, it sounds like Jesus needs a good publicist. Someone that could really just sort out and say, say something that, that little, made a little more sense. But, and, and some, as we read it, a lot of times the, the conclusion is, well, that verse is about contrasting our life here on earth and our life as it's going to be in heaven. And that's not, that's not wrong, um, except as a statement, if that's what it is, if it's this contrast or comparison of, of these two different kinds of life that, that we're going to experience, um, it, it minimizes our life now. And I'm not sure that's what Jesus was trying to, to say or trying to do. There's also a problem that if you create this scenario where it's two lives, that confuses me, that you have this life and you have this life. No, I don't, I don't see that. See, I, I, can only, I can only exist in one place at a time. And my whole existence, my whole life is here, right now. Everything I am, everything I have, everything about me, everything that makes me me is contained in this body right now. Body, soul, and spirit. This is me. This is my existence. This is my life. Now, if you want to say then, about life in heaven, well, I, don't, I can't identify fully with that. I can anticipate it. I can think about it, pray about it, talk about it, imagine it. But I, I can only live one existence. And you can only live one existence. And I'm not living in heaven yet. I, I've looked around. This ain't it. I'm pretty sure this ain't it. So I'm living this existence. So, that, so does that mean that this life is just something to be just endured? Does that mean this life should, doesn't count? Does this mean this life I should really just try to discard and, so that I can take on a, a different existence that, that is out there somewhere? So I, my problem with this verse, in all honesty, is the way it was translated. My problem isn't with Jesus. It's with the translators of what he said. I, I, I wish they'd have been a little more consistent, because for me at least, because it makes more sense. If they would have translated the same way they did in verse 26, the word life, it's the same word. In verse 25 and 26, where, where 25 says life, verse 26 says soul. It's the same word, suke. It, would, it makes more sense to me, at least, that if they would have translated as soul, not life. 
Because when I think of life, I think of existence. When I hear soul, that's a different thing. Now you're talking about your soul. You're talking about the essence of your being. You're talking about the immaterial, immortal part of yourself. You're talking about your real self, not your physical existence, not your, your life, your inhaling and exhaling. It's talking about who you are. It's talking about the, the faculty inside of you that, that, that houses your mind and your will and, and your emotions. It's who you are. I think for me, that verse would better read, if I were to correct the, the um, translators, I would say the word reads, would read better if it said, because whoever will save his soul will lose it, but whoever will lose his soul for my sake will find it. To me, that's cleaner. It makes more sense. If it doesn't mean anything to you, that's fine. Then I just went on a five-minute tirade just for my own sake because I feel better now. But Jesus is saying, if I try to save my soul, myself, if I try to save myself, if I try to save and, and, and live my life for me, if I try to live my life and my whole goal is to, is to gratify my soul, to gratify my mind, gratify my will, gratify my emotions, they, they take charge and they lead me through life. That if, if I try to save my soul, he's saying you're going to lose in the end. You're going to lose. If you try to save your own soul, you're going to lose. You lose because, well, number one, because you exempt yourself from this new identity he's given you. You're now in Christ. But if you're going to still live trying to run your own life and save your own soul, then you're not going to live by that identity. You're going to miss out on who you are in Christ. You'll lose because you disregard this new creation he's made you into. You've been made in this new creation, but you're still living by the old form. And the old image, you lose. That's a big loss. You lose because you, you abort the, his image that's being recreated in you. The image of Christ himself that's being formed in you, you lose. If you're going to save your own soul, if you're going to live your life for yourself, by yourself, with yourself, you'll lose. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. That's, that's, not, that's not even... A human's realm. God, that's God's realm. But, but I'm not saying you'll lose salvation. But I am saying this, that, it, that you will minimally, on a spiritual level, you will remain in a state of infancy. You'll remain unfruitful. You'll remain very vulnerable spiritually. Listen, just because you accepted the Lord 10 years ago, don't think you're a 10-year-old spiritually. Just because calendars, the calendar passed by. Spiritual growth is about our following after him. Likewise, it works the other way. I've, I've known some, some people and got, and who I've met, I've met some people who've only known the Lord like, you know, six months ago, but they're showing such maturity. They're showing, showing spiritual discernment and life and vitality that, that is just astounding because spiritual life isn't controlled by the clock or the calendar. He says, you're going to lose. If you're going to try and do this thing your way to please yourself, you're going to lose. He said, but if you're willing to lose your soul, if you're willing to cooperate with the Holy Spirit who resides in you, if you're willing to allow him to have the, the permission to, to sanctify your soul, to occupy your will so you begin to choose properly, to renew your mind so you begin to think properly, to heal and govern your emotions so that you can react and respond properly. If you'll do that, if you'll lose your soul, the life of Christ 
will start emerging from your life. The character of Christ will start showing up in your life. And if you lose your soul, you'll find out that you only live one life at a time. And you only get one life. You don't have a life here and a life later. You only get one life. And the life then is just going to be a continuation of this life. We have one life, which means today. If my life will agree with the person of Jesus Christ, with the work of the Holy Spirit in me, then I don't have to really worry about heaven. But, and I can have a full life here. I can have a full life now. I can be content here and now. I can be joyful here and now. I, I can be fruitful and productive here and now. I can be at peace here and now. If I'll lose my soul. And then someday this one life is simply going to change locations. It's just going to change of address. And I get a different life. I'll get a perfected life. I'll get a resurrected life. But it's this life. So this earth is preparation. It's boot camp, if you would. For a promotion. For a graduation. For a continuation from this plane of temporary time and space to an eternity with God himself. If we'll live our life for him. If we'll really follow after him and live our life for him. My third point. You're glad too, huh? <laughs> A pivot towards eternal life with him now. The now is important. Pivot towards eternal life with him now. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? What will a man gain if he or give in return for his soul? Jesus asks two important questions about your soul. I'm going to give you my paraphrase of, of Jesus' questions. Number one, what's your price? Number two, how are you going to pay for what you broke? That's, that's how I interpret that statement that, that Jesus gave. What's your price? Say, what, what, what value do you place on this eternal life he's given you? What value do you place on, on this life, your life with him? What, what's, what's your salvation worth? What's important enough to risk your soul? That's what he's asking. He's asking, how serious are you about following after me? And does, does your footsteps prove it? Does your daily lifestyle back it up? You know, it's, it's almost like Jesus knows how easy we can be on ourselves. It's almost like he knows how we, we let ourselves off the hook so easily sometimes. It's almost like he knows how easy it is for us to rationalize or justify or call our sin by other pretty names, prettier names. It, it's almost like he knows how we excuse ourselves around things that are less than in line with who he is in us. What's your price? Throughout scripture, Esau's price was a bowl of soup. Samson's price was to appease his girlfriend. The rich young ruler's price was his portfolio. The Pharisee's price was their, their own spiritual pride and arrogance. Judas's price was 30 pieces of silver. That's a hard question. What's your price? It's a hard question to ask a culture that rejects responsibility and accountability. 
It's a hard question. It doesn't even make sense in, in the setting in which we live, the, the climate in which you live, because nobody's responsible or accountable because everything that's problematic in my life is somebody else's fault. And you can't, so, which means you can't hold me accountable for anything. Which at the end of the day means nothing's really sinful. I can't sin. Because it's really not my fault. And you can't blame me for it. And you can't hold me accountable to it. And, and, and so it doesn't make sense. But Jesus isn't asking this question to the culture. He's asking his, the question to his disciples. He's asking his questions to those who have said and that they devote their life to following after him. And he's asking that question to you today and to me today that we have to just honestly before him look at and examine and give not a right answer but a true answer and make adjustments if necessary. So we need to take a lesson from Peter. There was a time in Peter's life where he was all talk and no walk. There was a time where Jesus, where Jesus was talking about what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem, if you remember. And Jesus and Peter calls him aside and says, no, that ain't it. That ain't going to happen. Not on my watch. I'm willing to die for you. Bold declaration. And before the night was out, Peter sold his soul three times. See, what's, what's your price? What, what will you give in to, into that's worth jeopardizing your walk with Jesus? Advance your career? Get the promotion? But what, what will pull you enough that you'll devalue your walk with him? You'll cut corners. How about that juicy gossip you just heard? You know, I mean, the whole purpose of gossip is to gossip it. What, what, what's your price? Popularity? Reputation? More money? Infidelity? What's your price? The, things, the places you go on a computer at night when no one's looking? What, what's, your, what's your price? See, every time we give in and go in those directions, we're putting a price on our soul. We're saying, this is what my walk with Jesus is worth. This is what my discipleship is worth. We're, we're selling our soul. Thank God that if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and wipe the slate clean again. Thank God. But let's learn the lesson. So maybe we have to make that confession less often. There was a time when Jesus was on earth where he was asked that question. He had to answer that question. What's his price? If you remember, he was baptized and it says immediately the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days, he fasted. He didn't eat or drink water and was tempted by the devil. It says in Hebrews that he was tempted in all ways, just as we are. Don't you ever think that Jesus doesn't understand your circumstance? Don't ever try to excuse yourself around something because, well, Jesus, you just didn't, you just don't know. No, he was tempted in all ways. Every way and area in which we can be tempted, Jesus understands. He was tempted to turn stone into bread, hadn't eaten for 40 days. Physical temptation. He experienced physical temptation. And I, I, not just this one, this was just his experience in the wilderness. He walked on this earth for three and a half years, well, 33 and a half years, ministered for three and a half. 
he faced temptation continually. The devil says, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down. Material temptation. More stuff. More money. He said, well, here, see the temple? If you'll jump off, God's going to send his angels to catch you, to prove that you are who you say you are, to show your authority and your power. He's talking about the temptation of status, reputation, position, that we sometimes are willing to sell out for. And in every situation, when Jesus responded back to the enemy, it is written. You know what he was saying? I'm not for sale. I'm not for sale. I'm just not for sale. And that's, that's important. He refused to put a price on who he was. He refused to put a price on his relationship with the Father. He refused to put a price on that which he was sent to do. Why is that important? Because it answers the second question. The first one was, what's your price? Second one, if you remember, how are you going to pay for what you broke? It says, what shall a man give in return for his own soul? How are you going to pay for what you broke? What do you have to offer? that in exchange is worth eternal life, that's worth forgiveness of sin? What do you have to bring to the table that, that is, is so worthy that God would accept it? And we all know the answer, nothing. Because we've already sold out. We're born in sin, all have sinned. We've already sold our soul. Our problem is we don't have any resource with which to buy it back to gain it back. And here's where the good news of the gospel comes in. Jesus didn't have a price because he was the price. He knew that we couldn't buy our way back and wouldn't be able to buy our way back, so he came to do it for us. He bought us back, not for himself, for us, so that we could have life with him. He didn't take a payment. Why? Because he was the payment. I came to give my life as a ransom. He came to pay your bill. He came to pay your debt. That's what the cross was all about. God the Son was making payment to God the Father for your debt and my debt. And in doing so, when we believe that, God resets the clock. And he starts eternal life. Can I tell you something? Eternal life is not something you're going to graduate to. Eternal life, if you're a Christian, it's already begun. You are living right now, not a perfect life, but an eternal life. As a follower of Christ, eternal life has already in you. It's already been given to you. It's not on loan. Jesus didn't say, well, believe in me, and then out here, if you're good enough, I'll give you eternal life. If the moment you accepted him as your Savior, he gave you eternal life. He gave you the gift of eternal life. Isn't it interesting that after the resurrection of Jesus, this Peter, who was all walk and no talk, suddenly became fearless. Those same people he was trying to avoid, he now stands boldly in front of him. He says, you know the Jesus you killed? Let me tell you your problem. Let me tell you what the truth is. He never denied Jesus again. Even to the point when he himself would endure crucifixion. He never denied Jesus again. Jesus is saying and encouraging his followers, don't sell yourself short. 
You, you can gain or try to gain the whole world, but what's it worth compared to your eternity? What's it compared to, to living with him forever? And that life has already begun. That life of eternity with him has already begun. If you're a Christian today, I'm going to ask the worship team if they'd come up. We're going to end this thing. The path to purpose oftentimes requires a pivot in order to be more like him, in order to live more for him, in order to live this life with him. That, that's a great, simple help if you're trying to make decisions in life. If I go in that direction, is it going gonna, is it gonna to advance my ability to be like him, for him, with him? Or is it, it, is it going to take me in a different direction? Should I move into this relationship? Should I, should I move down this career path? Should I follow this behavior, this habit? Because it's going to make you more like him, for him, and with him. Even though sometimes I know changing direction is hard for us. I know changing direction is, is a very difficult thing for us. But often it's the only path. It's the only path to get to where we really want to be. To make the adjustments necessary. So our problem sometimes is we just, we like pattern too much. I've noticed that about me the last few years. And it really bothers me about me. But I really like pattern. I really like predictability. I like knowing you know, I, I, I like the security that it gives me, even if it's a false security, that I'm somehow in control of things. See, purpose doesn't afford us that. Pur purpose is fluid. Purpose is sometimes moving out in the direction that you know is the right thing and God's calling you, but it's unknown. You don't have it all laid out. You don't know the parameters and borders. You don't know where all the walls are. See, pattern likes status quo. Purpose is always seeking and reaching for something more. It's always stretching. I thought of this as an illustration, if you can get this mental picture. Pattern is, is like going up in a tethered hot air balloon. You're flying, but you're still in control. Everything's still all within the right strike because you're tethered to the ground. Going after Jesus, pursuing your eternal purpose now, following him with your whole heart. It's that same hot air balloon, but it cuts the cord, cuts the line, and lets the wind of the Holy Spirit direct and guide and lead. While we worship, I want to just take a moment and just ask yourself, is there anything that's keeping me from God's purpose in my life? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Ask him if there's any patterns that need broken. Ask him if there's any directions that maybe missteps that you've taken that you need to back up a second and, and go in a new direction. Just ask him if there's anything in your life that would hinder you if you stay where you are, that you need to pivot or you need to make a move in another direction to, to correct and fix. While we worship the Lord, let the Holy Spirit minister to you.
If you're in the room, let's stand. You've been sitting for a little bit. Let's all stand. If you're at home and you want to stand, that'd be great too. But let's worship the Lord and let him minister to you. And then we'll pray in just a few moments. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, we run to you. And and the picture that we have in Scripture, as we run to you, (laughs) the Father runs to us. We come broken and you bring wholeness. We come discouraged and you bring help and hope and encouragement. We come lost and you restore us. We come in need and you lavish upon us. Lord, help us to understand that it's it's not about the condition we come, it's about the, the fact that we do come. Lord, if we have to make ourselves perfect before we can come to you, we'll never come. And the reality is, we all have sharp edges that need your help. We all have things where we've misstepped, misspoken, that we need to run to you and let you come and just throw your arms around us. Renew and restore us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you go with every one of us from this moment. And that you take the word of God and the seed of that word and use it for your glory and for our good. For we would come after you, Jesus. It's our desire to follow hard after you. And to accomplish and move in the direction of your divine purpose for our personal, individual life. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your presence. And thank you for the redeeming, healing, restoring power of Jesus Christ. Let your people, your, your blessing rest upon your people. Let them go from your house and from your presence, encouraged and enriched. Let the presence of God follow them every day of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.